Well, we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We'll read from just verse 12. Just a few verses uh, uh, in connection with the land, this promised land. Go back to verse 11. But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven the land which the Lord thy God careth for the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year and it shall come to pass if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul then I will give you the rain of your land in his due season the first rain and the latter rain that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil and I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full and we'll, we'll look at those few verses in a minute you know we, are, we sing carols at this time of the year and I was listening to the Sunday program and they were mentioning about Hark the Herald Angels Sing Wesley of course wrote this hymn and it, it was changed in actual fact by uh, Whitfield George Whitfield changed the words when Wesley wrote the hymn the first two lines began hark how the welkin rings glory to the king of kings now the welkin was an old English word meaning the vault of heaven the whole of heaven Whitfield changed the lines to hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king and I've said, just as a matter of interest, there's nowhere in the Bible where we read of angels singing, strangely enough. And Wesley got it right. He said, hark, the heaven, hark how the welkin rings. Hark how the whole cosmos of the earth was uh, holding its breath, as it were, because Jesus was born. Glory to the King of Kings. And what does it say about the angels? Uh, the angels said glory to God in the highest and on earth the praise was from the angels was praising God and when Whitfield changed it it changed slightly <coughs> he said half the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king but in fact the angels were saying glory to God in the highest because he had sent his son into the world slight difference that was in Wesley's mind at the start. Wesley seemed to have it right. And uh, this chap writing here, I just looked at it in the Gospel account, the angels praise God. Whereas in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, they are inaccurately describing praise to Jesus. Strange. And uh, he says, uh, and I was interested in this, I don't know who did this, but it says, Luke uh, does not say that the angels sing. And so it may well be that this is a reinterpretation by Whitfield uh, has made it more popular that angels do sing. <laughs> Isn't it strange? The, 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 the tune 
the tune that we all sing was by Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn wrote that tune, and a man called Cummings changed it and put that tune to it. And a strange thing, Mendelssohn also uh, said that he didn't want that tune to be used in sacred music for some reason. He made it for something secular. And he specifically said he didn't want that tune to be used in, sa in sacred music, that particular one. But yet this man changed it all and he went against what Mendelssohn had said. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Now, something else, I don't know whether you heard the news the other day, that a little baby in India was born, had been born with, with uh, four, uh, two, two sets of arms and two sets of legs. Did you, did you see that? And she's a lovely looking girl, lovely looking little youngster. And she has been operated on, and had a 40 hour operation with about 30 surgeons, I think. And they have removed all these uh, extra limbs that she was born with. It's a form of, uh, the, I, I was looking up to see what the reason was, and it's, it's a kind of uh, twin, a parasitical twin, they called it, which had developed uh, in, in this odd way, without, with extra limbs and extra legs, and extra, some other organs were, were repeated, but it was headless. A lovely little girl, she wouldn't have lived much longer than early teens if she hadn't had the operation. And she couldn't crawl. But the strange thing is that the Hindus are saying it is a reincarnation of the multi-armed god Vishnu. And the baby was born on the day that was uh, allocated in the Hindu religion to uh, Vishnu. It's not strange. She's been called after that God. Her mother said she is a miracle, a special blessing from God, but she is my daughter and we cannot live like this. Although they, they, the religion is claiming it as a reincarnation of a God, they still are changing it, changing the miracle. You know, Hindu religion is, is a really... Uh, grotesque religion. They have they are literally hundreds of thousands of gods. Hundreds of thousands of gods, if not millions. And India is a very pagan place, really, when you see all the, the idol worship in, in India. You know, you have these uh, Indians who we keep thoughts over their mouths even because they won't kill anything because they're afraid that if they kill anything it might be the reincarnation of some relation of theirs or of some other person so they even in case a fly goes into their mouths they keep, you see them uh, with these thoughts over their, their mouths so to avoid anything like that happening it's a very evil country and we need to preach the gospel out there. We need to pray for people in these countries who are seeking to proclaim the gospel. And while they're out there, we have friends in India who are out there as missionaries, their own people, trying to evangelize their, 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 their fellow Indians. Back home here, we have multi-faith services with these, old, these people in churches 
which are dedicated to the worship of the true God. It's a very terrible situation. Kali, Calcutta, that's where you get Calcutta, Kali. She has a, a garland round her and she's portrayed with all these severed heads as a garland uh, around her. She doesn't demand blood sacrifices. It's, it's an evil religion. Paganism in its worst. This girl, they say, is a reincarnation of Vishnu, the multi-armed uh, and legs god. You know, ecumenism is 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 gone mad. In America, they 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 had a a Thanksgiving service, and the Muslims said they had to have a Thanksgiving service in the name of Allah. This Thanksgiving service, which the Pilgrim Fathers uh, performed, thanking God for for all the blessings of the harvest and everything, now they're having Thanksgiving services in the name of Allah. All very sad. That's the way it's going. You know, we saw this, we've been talking about this good land flowing with milk and honey. And here was something interesting. Archaeologists digging in northern Israel have discovered evidence of a 3,000-year-old beekeeping industry, including remnants of ancient honeycombs, beeswax, and what they believe are the oldest intact beehives ever found. Isn't that incredible? The findings in the ruins of the city of Rehov this summer include 30 intact beehives dating to around 9000 BC. Archaeologist Amahal Mazar of Jerusalem's Hebrew University reported this to the Associated Press. Beekeeping was widely practiced in the ancient world where honey used for medicinal and religious purposes as well as for food and beeswax was used to make molds for metal and to create surfaces to write on. While bees and beekeeping are depicted in ancient artwork, nothing similar to these hives has ever been found before. And we have been considering that, of course, the history of Jerusalem in Deuteronomy, uh, that this is just interesting, that this land was a land of milk and honey. Something else, uh, I got a, a, an email from a missionary, and I thought it was so apt that I thought I would read it out. You know, remember when you were kids, you were running in long grass, you were stung by nettles. And what did you do? You went and you found some docks, and you got the docks and you rubbed them on the nettle, and he said, nettle, well, we used to say nettle, nettle in, uh, dock, dock and dock and in, rub the sting of the nettle out. But there, there is an older one than that. Nettle in, dock out, dock in, nettle out, nettle in, dock out, rub, net, dock, rub, nettle out. <laughs> and it was supposed to take away the sting. I don't know whether it ever worked or not, but there we are. Now the botanists tell us that nettles and docks both require similar habitats. So they grow side by side. I was thinking about this. I was reminded of the verse in Romans 5. It says, 
Where sin abounded, grace did so much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Where there is sin in this world, that is where the gospel of Jesus Christ abounds towards sinful man. We have sin, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have nettle stings, the ducks grow in the same ground. They're side by side. Where sin abounds, grace, the love of God, is there for sinful man. Now, that's just by the way, this chap writing says something similar about where one thing is, where the love of God is then, for we will have tribulation. And he's writing, and here's what he says. I think it's a good email. We have been reminded again just recently that grapes and giants are often found in close proximity. Remember we spoke about the, the grapes being brought back by the spies and the giants in the land. And that's what he's writing about. They just seem to go together. When the spies brought back from Canaan a great cluster of grapes, they also brought back reports of giants living in walled cities. In fact, the Bible dictionary I use indicates that the grapes came from the very location, Hebron, where the giants lived. I must confess that I would rather it were not so. My flesh is a lover of grapes, but has no affinity for giants. I would like for them to be found far apart so that I could rest in peace under the shadow of the grapevine and eat to excess the grapes of Eshcol, all the while avoiding all contact with the giants. The Apostle wrote to the Corinthian church this very truth when he penned the words, There is a great door and effectual and, and open to me, and there are many adversaries. A great door, many adversaries. Opportunities and opposition. Doors and difficulties. Blessings and burdens. Grapes and giants. This is God's plan for his servants. The very fact that they are found together teaches us to be optimistically realistic and realistically optimistic. If there are giants who are harassing you at this moment, then there must be large clusters of grapes nearby. It is God's way to plant them in close proximity. If there are grapes growing in abundance in your life, then you must be ever so careful and watchful for giants. And just here you will see one of those Bible portraits of the servants of Christ. If one of his hands, in one of his hands is a cluster of the very largest luscious grapes, sweet and rich, blessed of God. And in the other hand, he's saying this is the way we should be. He holds a sharp sword with which he fights off the giants. While he tastes the sweetness of God's richest blessings, his eye is sharp and his arm is strong and he holds the sword of the Spirit because the giants, the enemies of God, are ever near. 
we have been enjoying many wonderful grapes of blessing in the church planting work here and there are also giants over the past few months our church has been under severe attack from many quarters false accusations slander threats of lawsuits unrest in the homes of our members dissatisfaction on the part of some and a thousand other difficulties have come our way these are our giants we have to get rid of the giants I thought that was interesting just in the light of what we've been talking about in Deuteronomy now let's go back to those few passages those few verses that we have been reading there this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 11 we've been talking over the past few weeks about this inheritance these people were getting an inheritance God was giving them this wonderful land we saw a few sessions ago we have an inheritance Peter said blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has called us to be born again to a new hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead we've been born again to the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead we have this hope what does it do to obtain an inheritance that's our hope our inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you and for me our land our inheritance is one for which God cares it says there his eyes are upon it constantly from the beginning of the year right through to the end God was going to protect the children of Israel in this land and God is constantly caring for you and for me it contains this inheritance for us here's what it says in Corinthians in uh, Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 2 it contains things which I hath not seen nor ear heard neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searches all things yea the deep things of God for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God what he's saying is that man only knows what is in carnal man but the spirit of God in believers teaches them here's what it says now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth but which the Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God speaks to us, and he tells us what he has prepared for us. I hath not seen and ear heard the things that God has prepared for you and me in our inheritance in heaven. 
you tell this to a natural man and he thinks it's you're in cloud cuckoo land because a natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit of God this promised land was one which God intended to preserve for his people continually from the beginning of the year right unto the end of the year always Psalm 121 tells us the Lord shall preserve our goings out and our comings in from this time forth and even forevermore doesn't slumber nor sleep he is constantly caring for his people Paul in Ephesians assures us of our inheritance in Ephesians 1 11 and 12 it says in whom that is in Christ we also have obtained an inheritance being marked out beforehand according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory we haven't obtained an inheritance which God had planned for us right from the beginning of time and from eternity we must realize that there is a place where the divine love of God is known where God's son is the object of love and worship where the comforter dwells where eternal life is obtained and given to those whom the Father has given to his Son. And this is the land that God cares for, on which his eyes are continually on. The question is, are our eyes resting on that future hope which we have in Jesus Christ? You know, people who have an inheritance, they try to protect it. They, they, they look for it. They enjoy it. The thought of it. Are we enjoying our inheritance in Christ? John in his epistles assures us that this inheritance is something which we now possess. It's not something which we will get only in the future. We, here and now, we have it not in all its fullness but nevertheless something which we consciously know and possess now 1 John 5 verse 13 these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God you know, he doesn't say that you know that someday you will get eternal life. He says, no, that ye have eternal life. It's something which we have now and which will go on and on through into eternity. You know, it's possible, despite living in a ruined world, under the judgment of God, to enjoy as children of God a land, an inheritance which is vastly different from anything the world knows. Jesus said, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. This is something very special which God has given to us in Jesus Christ, and we have it now. You know, we look at, I was just thinking about this, you look out at governments throughout the world, all seeking to protect their inheritance, their country, their land. We see the Northern Rock crisis, the banks trying to support our currencies, industries and man's inheritance that's what they're all trying to support their inheritance their physical inheritance 
we see world government's feeble attempt to bring peace to a troubled world. Their efforts in Afghanistan, Iraq, Sudan, the Middle East. We look at the recent attempts to obtain an agreement on global warming just this weekend. The latest treaty signing at the, new, the EU summit. Our Prime Minister wouldn't attend the main function even. It's all a mess. No sooner has one problem been partially solved than another two takes its place. And all because countries and people are concerned about their own little financial inheritance. They care about their inheritances. They seek to keep their eyes upon the financial world because of that. Are our eyes and mind as constantly upon and thinking about our inheritance in Jesus Christ? God's heart is that man should enjoy his inheritance. Are we as concerned as God is? His eyes are constantly and have been from eternity caring for our inheritance. Our Saviour has gone to prepare this inheritance for us and will come back soon to take us to his Father's place. Now look at verses 13 to 15. Actually 14. We read from 13. And it will be that if you listen carefully to my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and soul, I will give the rain of your land in its due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your cattle, so that you may eat and be full. It was Israel's privilege to serve God, who had chosen them because he loved them. It was God's prerogative to bless and prosper Israel. What was set before them was happiness and fruitfulness as a result of obedience. That was it. The land was to be watered and cared for by God. The people and their land were dependent upon God. Their supplies were to come from heaven. That's what it was all about. So long as they walked in obedience, <coughs> the heavens provided gentle falling rain upon their fields. The dew from heaven would refresh their land. And the result, blessed fruitfulness. Nothing could be simpler one would have thought if ye be willing and obedient this is in Isaiah God speaking again it's Isaiah 1 20 and 21 if ye be willing and obedient ye shall eat the good of the land but if ye refuse and rebel ye shall be devoured with the sword for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken Isn't that incredible? And they failed miserably. They failed miserably. 
Now, although the church is not under the law, we are called to obedience. God wants us to be obedient children. If we live and love in obedience, we will dwell in a loving relationship of communion with our Lord, and as a result, we will have spiritual fruitfulness. We look at the question maybe of fruitfulness some other time, but first we must look at the promises to Israel for diligent obedience to God. If they obeyed God diligently, he said he would give them rain upon their land, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil and grass in your fields so that you will eat and be satisfied when we look at the promises of God we wonder why the Israelites did not obey them and keep them don't we why did they not just obey God well it's because they were just like you and me we don't obey we're rebellious children Israel was assured of abundant rain to produce corn wine and oil and grass for their cattle first rain the, the Israel has two periods of rain generally first falls around October when the harvest has been put in and the seeds have been put in the ground to bring them on and the latter rain comes about March a little before the harvest is due to ripen the corn and swell and plump up the ears to make them yield more fruit and better fruit now there's a there's a serious error has crept into the church over the years called the latter rain movement which is erroneous we won't go into that here but just beware of it but turn to Psalm 104 turn to Psalm 104 Psalm 104 and verse 14 and 15 Psalm 104 14 and 15 you know the verses so well I'm sure he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that maketh glad the heart of man and oil to make his face to shine and bread which strengtheneth man's heart the same things were going to be produced here in the Psalms as was going to be produced in Deuteronomy corn, bread, wine and oil the rain fell upon the land producing corn, wine, oil and grass for their animals and man was to be satisfied. That was God's plan. What a wonderful plan. The spiritual rain from heaven falls upon us as the word of God is obeyed and ministered. Gently falls. God speaks to us through his spirit. That is what is needed to satisfy the spiritual needs of each Christian. That is what God has promised to those who obey his word. Spiritual reign. His word being proclaimed. The word is gentle upon the obedient. Jesus, there was a, in Matthew 12 says Jesus aware of this withdrew from there many followed him and he healed them all 
and warned them, warned them not to tell who he was. And this was to fulfill which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And here's what they said about this prophet Jesus who was coming, the Son of God. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed will he not break off. Oh yes, he was gentle. And a smouldering wick will he not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles <coughs> will hope. A battered reed, oh, he will bear up those who are battered and bruised by this world and something which is flickering someone whose light is flickering he just won't stand on it and squeeze it out he will encourage that person to shine for him his gentleness will be evident and this heavenly ministry produces real growth this gentle rain which falls from heaven through the word of God being preached and being taught will produce real spiritual fruit God says he who has my word let him speak my word faithfully you know corn corn is food which builds up people physically and so spiritually that which enables us to become strong in the Lord Sadly, many today in churches don't preach the corn of the word. We saw where Willow Creek Church had spent millions of pounds teaching their people something, and they didn't grow. They have admitted that they, they didn't grow. The people didn't grow in the Lord because they were feeding them something which wasn't corn. They were feeding them chaff. Jeremiah 23:28 Let him who has my word speak my word in truth and then it, they ask the question God asks the question what does straw have in common with grain is not my word like a fire and like a hammer which shatters a rock Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the word, the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares. You hear that so often? God says, but in many cases God doesn't say, they're preaching and teaching chaff instead of the real corn of the word. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit. They're feeding them chaff instead of the real corn. Let us make sure that we are teaching the pure word and feeding people corn and not feeding people straw which has no nourishment and indeed is downright dangerous 
what does Luke say? Speaking of the Lord Jesus, Luke 3.17, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And then the next thing that we're going to produce is wine. You know, Judges 9.13, we read that wine cheers God and man. In the New Testament, we read of the new wine. It is typical of the joy which comes from being in favor with God, being fully known and accepted by God through grace. Joy. In Luke 15, in the parable of the prodigal son, we have an illustration of the joy of the father in welcoming his son and providing for him. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. It is a pleasure for God to give unto his children joy and gladness. Through grace the heart of man is gladdened, and through the grace of God which we receive, we are gladdened. Jesus wanted each to have joy in all its abundance. He wants this joyous life not to be bound with the old law, but to flow freely in the new bottles of the new covenant. Say, don't put new wine into old bottles, because it will burst. We want the new wine into new bottles. We have been saved. We are new in Christ Jesus. And we want that new wine to flow through us. Man may restrict its flow, but God would have it flow through the spirit of love, obedience, and joy. And finally, the oil. The word used here for oil means to shine. To shine. And just a very simple lesson from this oil. A simple practical level God wants you and me to shine for him Jesus said he was the light of the world and then he says we're the light of the world he wants to shine through us remember that song we used to sing Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for him each day in every way try to please him at home, at school at play Jesus wants me to be loving and kind to all I see showing how pleasant and happy his little ones can be I will ask Jesus to help me to keep my heart from sin ever reflecting his goodness and always shine for him I'll be a sunbeam for Jesus I can if I but try serving him moment by moment then live with him on high a sunbeam a sunbeam Jesus wants me for a sunbeam how oh, we have met Christians, each of us, I'm sure, who do not shine for him. Some of them are miserable. They haven't told their face that the joy of the Lord is in their heart. And they look miserable. We should shine in this dark world. Oil also has a soothing effect. Remember the Good Samaritan poured oil into the wounds of the injured man. God pours his healing, loving spirit into our broken, sin-sick lives through his spirit. 
the comforter dwells with us forever then our whole lives are controlled by God's spirit and grace and we are filled and satisfied spiritually what a wonderful few verses if we're obedient to God and his word he will fulfill us and satisfy us spiritually oh that we would have the true bread and feed upon the living bread the Lord Jesus Christ turn to Isaiah chapter 55 a well known passage but it just sums up this whole thing Isaiah 55 Ho, everyone that thirsteth come ye to the waters and he that hath no money come ye buy and eat yea buy wine and milk without money and without price wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness oil in scripture speaks also of fatness incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David behold I have given him for a witness to the people a leader and commander to the people behold thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not and nations that knew thee not shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel for he hath glorified thee seek ye the Lord while he may be found call ye upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord for he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither but watereth the earth and bringeth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that which goeth forth out of my mouth it shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper the thing whereunto I sent it for ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree and it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off